0: So, next Saturday, we're going to be continuing our series on Luke's gospel. But this Saturday, this afternoon, we're going to study a passage in John's gospel in which Jesus calls us to serve one another, to serve one another. It's John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And what happens in this chapter, this takes place on Passover night, During the meal, this is before Jesus leads the disciples in communion, the Lord's Supper, and before Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be praying and crying out to God for strength for the the cross that awaits him the next day. But before all that happens, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, why does he do that? What's the point That's what we're going to look at this afternoon. John 13, 1 through 17 divides into three sections. We're going to ask a question, which will open us up into each section. And in the first section, John sets the stage for what he's going to describe Jesus as doing by giving us six statements about who Jesus Christ is, focusing on his greatness. So we'll ask the first question Who is Jesus Christ? And the first of those six statements is that John tells us Jesus is the focus of the Passover. A little bit of background before we read the verse. And that is all through John's gospel, John has been mentioning the Passover and tying it to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus' death on the cross through the Passover. And look at what he says at the beginning of verse 1, chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover... So this is one of many times where he mentions the Passover, and so careful readers are thinking, okay, here's the culmination. Jesus is the focus of the Passover. Now let me remind you what the Passover is. Thousands of years before, God's people had been slaves in Egypt, crying out to God to deliver them. God heard their prayers and was going to pour His judgment and wrath out upon Egypt to deliver God's people, but to protect them from that outpouring of His wrath, He told each family to take a lamb and to kill it and to take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorposts of the house so that when God's wrath was poured out upon Egypt, that blood would cover, would protect, would shelter that family from the wrath of God. And every year on Passover, after that point, God's people would celebrate the Passover, remembering what, Jesus, what God had done and anticipating the pointing head of something even greater to come. And it's all pointing, of course, to, well, it's what John the Baptist saw. John chapter 1, the first time John the Baptist sees Jesus, remember what he said? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So, all those Thousands of Passovers were pointing head toward Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, whose death on the cross would protect whoever trusts Him from the outpouring of the wrath of God at the end of time. Jesus is the focus of the Passover. That's one picture of His incomparable greatness. Secondly, John tells us that Jesus would rise from the dead and return to His Father. Verse 1 again. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, speaking of the cross there, his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he would end up departing out of this world. Now, stop right there. Jesus would die on the cross the next day, Friday. But he did not remain dead. Just like he had said on Sunday, he would rise from the dead, showing that He had conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered death, that His death had paid for the sins of everyone who will trust Him. His resurrection was a blazing display of that that happens. And then after showing Himself to His followers and strengthening and encouraging them, there were hundreds of eyewitnesses of Him having risen physically from the dead, after that, He ascended into heaven, went to be with the Father. So Jesus would rise from the dead and return to the Father. Third, remember John's setting the stage for what Jesus is going to do. And the third statement is that Jesus loved his disciples to the very end. Verse one again. Now before the feast of the Passover, When Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Think of the setting of what's going on here. Jesus knew that He was about to be arrested, beaten, scourged, nailed to the cross, suffering god's wrath for our sins and dying so jesus awaited that night the rest the next day and yet as we're going to see in a moment with all that that facing jesus he was thinking of his disciples he was caring for his disciples he was loving his disciples concerned for his disciples Jesus loved His disciples perfectly, faithfully, to the very end. Fourth statement. Are you getting a feel for the incomparable greatness of Jesus? Now look at this fourth statement. Jesus even loved His enemies. Verse 2, puzzling why John would include this. During supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Stop there. John could have left this out. Why did he include it? I think he wants to remind us that Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, was going to betray him. Betray him. And in verse 11, we're going to see that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. At that very moment, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him with a kiss. So when Jesus kneels down before the disciples one by one and washes their feet, one of those disciples is Judas Iscariot. Jesus even loved his enemies. Then, fifth Jesus had been given all things by the Father. Don't don't misunderstand what this verse is going to say. The Bible is very clear. There is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equally God. One God in three persons. There's mystery there. It's what the Bible very plainly teaches. But God the Father, to help Jesus, to equip Jesus, to help Jesus do the ministry on the earth, gave all things into his hands. You see that at the beginning of verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And throughout John's gospel, you can see John emphasizing, the Father gave him this, the Father gave him this. So what are some of the things that John listed that the Father has given into Jesus' hands? So just think about Jesus' hands and the greatness of Jesus who has all these things in his hands. All the miracles he would do, chapter 5. All the truth he would teach, chapter 12. The cup of God's wrath that he would drink on the cross, paying for the sins of all who would trust him, chapter 18. All those whom God would save through him, there in chapter 6, in Jesus' hands. The authority to give eternal life. To all who would trust Him, that's in chapter 5. The authority to pour out the Holy Spirit on His people, chapter 3. And all future judgments, heaven held future judgment of all mankind in chapter 5. And in Matthew 28, 18, remember what Jesus said? All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the Father has placed all things into Jesus' hands. Another display, picture that John gives us of Jesus' greatness. And then the last statement, Jesus came from God. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, now, we already talked about how Jesus would be raised from the dead and go back to God, but, but notice John saying that Jesus came from God. He was not like all of us. We started to exist the moment we were conceived in the womb, right? That's when you started to exist. You had a, a beginning then, not Jesus, Jesus came from God. God sent Him to be born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus had always been with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from eternity past with no beginning. But God sent Him to be born of the Virgin Mary. God had sent Him to seek and to save the lost. Let me just mention it. If you are lost, if you are lost this afternoon, God sent Jesus to seek and to save you. That's why you're here this afternoon. He can seek and save you this afternoon right now. But God the Father sent Jesus. Jesus came from God. So John sets the stage for what Jesus is going to do. He's he's shown us Jesus' incomparable greatness, All those thousands of Passovers were pointing to what Jesus would do on the cross. Astonishing to think about that. And then Jesus would rise from the dead and return to His Father. And Jesus loved His disciples to the very end, even His enemies He loved. And Jesus was given all things by the Father and came from God. So here's Jesus Christ in comparable greatness infinitely greater than all the disciples, than all of humanity, than than everything in the world, than everything, anything in the universe. And what does He do? John says, He got up during supper. He laid aside His outer garments. Let me just read it in verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around His waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It was always servants who washed guests' feet. Always. Servants. But Jesus, with his incomparable matchless greatness. Gets up from summer, takes off his outer robes. I get the picture like he's stripped down, he's got his t-shirt on, he's going to do some work here, right? He's a servant. He's out to work. Puts a towel around his waist and kneels down before each of his disciples and washes their feet. Now This, this goes against everything in their social structure. You need to feel this. This is, goes against he's the master. They are his servants. This goes against everything in their social structure. This would be like the CEO bringing tea to the person who usually brings tea to people. Can I pour you a cup of tea? This would be like a, like a shaker carrying the bags for the maid. Okay? This would be like, like a five-star general driving a private wherever he wanted to go. Those things just don't happen. You understand that, right? This is absolutely shocking. Jesus with his incomparable greatness kneeling down before each disciple and washing their feet. That's who Jesus is. Incomparable greatness, humbling himself, lowering himself in a shocking way, and washing the disciples' feet. Now, this next section in John 13 shows us that this washing, this washing thing is a powerful picture of something else. It's a picture of something, something else, something different. So let's ask that for this next section in John. What is this a picture of? Start with verse 6. He, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Do you feel the shocking change there? Just breaking all the social norms. Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So Peter was shocked that Jesus washed his feet. But Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you don't understand this washing. This washing pictures something else. So we need to ask the question, what does it picture? Keep reading. Look at verse 8. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. No way. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Wow. Washing is important. Washing pictures something that we must experience if we're going to have a share with Jesus. Something we must experience. If we're going to be saved from our sins, reconciled to God and share in the overflowing, all-satisfying joy of knowing Jesus now, like we sang about earlier, now and forever, forever and ever, if we want to share in what Jesus has for us, Jesus must wash us. It has to happen if we're going to share with Jesus. We must experience whatever this washing is. It's that important. So what is washing picture? gets a little clearer in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, if that's the case, like not my feet only, but also my my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Now, Now stop there. Notice, this is so important to catch, being bathed is one thing, having your feet washed is another. Those are two very different things here. Did you catch that? The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So being bathed is different from having your feet washed. Being bathed by Jesus makes you completely, completely clean, your whole body. But even if you've been bathed by Jesus, you still need your feet washed. Okay, so it's getting a little clearer, I hope, but washed from what? I mean, is Jesus really worried about, like, whether I'm taking a shower lately? What's what's the deal? You know, what's what's this about? What is being washed? What's being bathed? What, What does it mean to have my feet washed? What do we need to be cleaned from? I think it becomes crystal clear in verses 10 and 11 together, when you take them together. See if this helps you. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, Judas. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now understand, when Jesus says, you are clean, that word you is plural. He's talking about the disciples here. He's saying that the disciples are already clean, except for Judas. They had already all been bathed. They were completely clean, except for Judas. Except for Judas, who would betray him. He had not yet been bathed. He was not clean. What was it that he wasn't cleaned from? Sin. Sin. That's the issue here. The issue isn't dirt. The issue is sin. Bathing and foot washing are not about getting rid of dirt. Bathing and foot washing are about getting clean from sin. That's what this is all about. That's what this picture is here. And here's why this is so important. We've all been dirty with sin. Filthy with sin. Even if you lived a pretty moral life on the outside, you looked pretty good on the outside, you know what was in your heart. The pride that was there, the bitterness, the lust, the greed, the jealousy in forgiveness. I know what was in my heart. Filthy. We're all dirty from sin. We've all been dirty from sin. But by dying on the cross, the focus of the Passover, Jesus was punished for the sins of all who would trust Him. And because Jesus died on the cross, then the moment that you turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you trusted Him as your Savior, as your Lord, as your heart-satisfying treasure. The moment that happens, you are completely bathed, completely cleansed, washed clean from sin's guilt. No more guilt is on you. That happens instantly. The moment that you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are washed, completely bathed, cleansed. That's bathing. But then why do we need our feet washed? What's that about? It's because we're not sinless. Not until heaven. We're not sinless. We're we're growing less and less sinful, but we're not sinless. And as we walk through the streets of this world, sin dirties our feet. That's what happens. Sin affects our hearts. You can't sin and not have your heart affected, right? Lust hardens your heart. Jealousy numbs your heart. Unforgiveness dulls. You ever felt dulls your heart? Heart gets numb, dull, hardened. Sin affects our hearts. And because our hearts are dull and are numb and are hardened, our capacity to feel God's love and presence is diminished We start to wonder, I'm not sensing anything of God. Am I forgiven? Does He love me? But when we confess our sins, He washes our feet. When we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, He He cleanses our our hearts from the, the ways that sin, ongoing sin, dirties us. Our hearts change from being numb and hard, and dull. We behold Jesus. We're assured of forgiveness. We know His love for us. Foot washing is different from bathing. Both are crucial, but they're very different from each other. So ask yourself, have you been bathed by Jesus? Have you been bathed? Have you come to the point in your life where you saw who Jesus is, in His glory, in His reality, in His love, in His greatness, in His death on the cross, in His resurrection, and so you gladly turned from sin? Who wants that? I want Him. And you trusted Him, and you experienced complete cleansing, complete forgiveness, all of your guilt gone. Have you been bathed by Jesus? I'm sure in a group this size, some of you have not been. Glad you're here. You can be bathed right this moment. Turn to Jesus and trust Him. Confess your sins to Him. Ask Him to wash you clean, to change you, to fill you. He will. Now, if you have been bathed and are completely clean, are your feet dirty? Are your feet dirty? Is your heart numb and hard and dull? If so, how long has that been the case? How long? Stop holding on to unconfessed sin. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. Turn to Jesus confess that sin. Not that you need to remember every sin, just say, forgive me, I'm back. And He will wash your feet. He will wash your heart. Your heart will become soft and alive and sensitive to Him once again. We must confess our sins, not in order to get saved but because that will assure us that we have been saved because people who've been bathed and completely cleansed will confess their sin. We don't confess our sins in order to get saved. we're, We're saved by being bathed once and for all. But we need to confess our sins because that will bring us fresh assurance that we have been bathed and saved. So that's what bathing and foot washing pictures. Does that make sense now? I hope it makes sense to you. It's so important. But as important as those are, and they are hugely important, if you've not been bathed yet, that's what you need to be thinking about the rest of our time this afternoon. If you've had a long time going by without having your feet be washed, without confessing your sin, do that right now. Those are very important. But that's not the main point that Jesus is making in this teaching with His disciples. What's the main reason Jesus washes their feet? Start with verse 12. When He had washed their feet and put on His outer garments and resumed His place at the table, He said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call Me Teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, that's the disciples, that's us, is not greater than his master, than Jesus, right? Nor is a messenger, that's us, he sent us out to be his messengers not greater than the one who sent Him, not greater than Jesus. So Jesus wants all of His disciples to wash each other's feet, which means to serve one another, to serve each other. And one of the biggest reasons we don't serve each other He targets right here is because we think we are greater than other people. We think we are more important than other people. My agenda is more important than theirs. My time is more important than theirs. My concerns are more important than theirs. The biggest reason, one of the biggest reasons, we don't serve others is because we think we are more important than they are. And in these verses, Jesus has just destroyed that thinking. Did you catch that? Because Jesus, who is most important who towers over us in His importance, lowered Himself, didn't think, I'm too important to serve them, lowered Himself to serve His disciples, to serve all of us by dying on the cross. That's what Jesus did. And if Jesus wasn't too important to serve His disciples, then we certainly aren't too important to serve our fellow disciples, our fellow brothers and sisters. You see that? We need to see that Jesus has done everything so we can cast all of our cares upon Him, all of our concerns upon Him, all of our worries, all of our fears. You know, We're always so full of things we need to get done and do and worried about this and that. We can cast those upon Him. We need to lean into trusting our concerns to Him so that we can think about the concerns of others. That's how He wants us to live. So husbands... Husbands, when we come home, we should think, I'm a servant. I'm a servant tonight. We should be there to serve wife, children, not I've worked so hard, I'm so important, everybody's going to serve me when I walk in the front door. You're there as a servant. When you meet someone for coffee, I'm here to be their servant. How are you doing? What's going on? When we think about our home group, I'm their servant. How can I encourage them, love them, care for them? When we go to work, I'm a servant. How can I serve, help, bless people here? We lean into entrusting our cares and concerns and list of things to do to to Jesus so that we can serve others. And then look at how Jesus concludes this section in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is amazing. The word blessed means happy, joyful, overflowing with exuberance. It's a beautiful word. So here Jesus gives us a promise to motivate us. If we serve each other for Jesus' sake, because of His glory, for the sake of His name, because I'm casting my cares upon Him, I'm trusting Him because I've been forgiven and reconciled to God, and I have the joy of knowing God forever now, because if I'm serving other people for Jesus' sake, then He says, you're going to receive even more joy in me. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The path to blessedness, the path to joy, the path to a heart that's overflowing with Jesus, that path is the path of sacrificial servanthood for others. That's the path. Are you on that path? Are you on that path? I was was with the the children's ministry workers before the service, they wanted me to pray for them. And it just struck me that they're giving their Saturday afternoon to be up there loving and caring for our kids. And, And I just prayed, because I know God's going to do this. God's going to give them even more blessing being there than they would have had here. The path to blessedness, the path to joy, the path to overflowing heart with who Jesus Christ is, is the path of sacrificial servanthood. That's what Jesus says. It's beautiful. So, Grace Church, what does this mean for us? Jesus washes the disciples' feet before the Lord's Supper, before Gethsemane, before the cross, because He wants us to have not just a powerful picture of what bathing is and what foot washing is. Those are crucial. Take those to heart if you need to. But his main point is, brothers, disciples, sisters, serve one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Later in this chapter, he's going to say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The world's going to take note when we Love each other the way Jesus pictures and describes in John chapter 13. So I want to call us to serve each other. Two applications from this: one is see yourself as a servant of others. Downton Abbey, right? Downton Abbey. Anybody watch Downton Abbey? And the and the, the servants they're all they're all extending their legs all the time, right? They're just waiting for somebody. Somebody needs something. They they know who they are. They are servants. Anybody watch Downton Abbey? <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's, a, it's a. I'm a U.S. guy. Okay, but but isn't that the picture of the servants? That should be our hearts. That's the the attitude in our hearts. I am a follower of Jesus, which means I am a servant. He's given me an example to. I'm following him. He was a servant. I'm a servant. So I'm. I'm looking, I'm attentive, I'm thinking, what can I do? Last week I texted the home group leaders and I said, send me some examples of ways you've seen people in your home groups serving each other. Got lots of answers. I am so blessed. Grace Church, we are serving each other here. I'm so, so thankful. Let me encourage you with some of these. You probably were the ones who they're talking about. Providing cars and labor to help someone move apartments providing financial help to someone, giving rides for people who have visited the church who need need rides here on Saturday afternoons, providing meals to support people, providing prayer for those who are struggling, driving someone to the hospital, providing childcare to help a young couple, opening your home to students, leading a women's Bible study, driving someone to the airport, praying with them before their flights, And the list just goes on and on and on. It was so encouraging to read. But let the Lord open up possibilities in your mind so you're thinking there's there's dozens of ways that this next week you could serve someone in the body of Christ. A fellow disciple, follow Jesus' example. See yourself as a servant. Walk the path that leads to blessing. Serve each other. That's one application. Second application... Consider serving on a Grace Church ministry team. This is one of the reasons we took this afternoon to take a break from Luke and focus on this passage because our ministry teams need more help. If you want to support our ministry team leaders, we have amazing ministry team leaders. But we need more help. They need more help. So what I want to do is list for you, I didn't count them, how many ministry teams we have here. And I would just encourage you, would you consider... Would you think about joining one of these ministry teams? Afterwards, right out that door, all the ministry team leaders are going to be there. they are You guys all have little name tags, right? You do, okay. People with lanyards, name tags around yellow uh, straps. But they'll be out there, spaced strategically through there. You can't miss them. You're going to have to walk right by all of them, okay? And they're going to be standing there looking at you. And so pick one you'd like to ask and, and talk to them about what would it look like, and then pray about it that's what we want you to do, pray about it. If the Lord says, no, I want you to do this instead, okay, fine, but let's all pray. I'm confident that as we pray and let the Lord lead us, we'll have all the help that we need for all these areas. So here's ministry teams. The Grace Kids team. This would mean serving our children years from zero to 10 years old. You're serving the children. You're loving them. You're sharing Jesus with them. You're showing Jesus to them. This is Saturday afternoons. You're going to miss one Saturday afternoon a month, but Jesus will fill you with even more blessing through that Saturday than you would have had here as you care for our kids. Grace Kids is led by Asha Bylot, who's upstairs right now, I believe. Is that right? Asha, you're not in here right now, are you? Is Asha here? Asha, why don't you stand up? There she is. So see her afterwards, okay? Oh, you don't see Eric. Where's Eric? Eric's here somewhere. Eric's upstairs. Okay. Grace Youth Team is a second team. You'll serve our junior high, I mean, our, our junior youth, which is 10 through 13, and senior youth, which is 14 through 17 plus. You're going to be encouraging them to trust Jesus, encouraging them in their faith, helping them share the gospel with their friends. The Grace Youth Team is going to be led by Josh Wall when he arrives here. By the way, they've put their house on the market. They're getting very close to being on their way here. Let's keep praying for them. It's getting soon. So it will be led by Josh Wall when he comes, our new family pastor. In the meantime, it's being led by, I am so thankful for Ben Smith, who's taking a weekend away this weekend, getting some well-deserved rest. So, Grace Youth Team, pray about helping with the Grace Youth Team. So, Grace Kids Team, Grace Youth Team, then the Sound Team. Sound people, Joe Connor leads it. Joe, why don't you stand up? There's Joe, our sound leader, doing an awesome job. <laughs> Woo hoo! You're going to serve the whole church by helping us be hearing and just swept up in the worship from the worship team and then hearing the sermon. These things are important, okay? Imagine we couldn't hear anything from the worship team or anything from the sermon. That'd make for a rough Saturday afternoon. So sound team is very important. We will train you, and you will emerge very skilled. So sound team. Visual team. Visual team. Rebecca, hello. Rebecca back there. There she is. Okay? You serve the whole church by creating and running visual presentations for the sermon and for the lyrics and for the songs and for the announcements, crucial ministry. Welcome and Usher team, you'll serve the whole church by meeting visitors when they walk in on Saturday, helping them find their seats, helping them connect with home groups, and the Welcome and Usher team is led by Rochelle Connor. Rochelle, are you in here? She's, you got to stand, Rochelle. (laughs) Woo-hoo! Okay, the events team is led by Wumi Akinlusotu. She's not here, I don't think, this afternoon. Is she? No. Is she here? You're here. Okay. You help the whole church by decorating the church beautifully on Easter, on Christmas, and helping out with other special events that we have. So talk to Wumi if you are into events. The live stream media team. You will serve those who, for many reasons, aren't able to be here physically, face to face with us on Saturday afternoons, so they can be part of our services online. And our live stream media team is led by Lena. Where's Lena? Lena's back there. Okay. You say, I know nothing about live stream media? Perfectly. You're qualified. We'll train you, okay? Not a problem. The admin and communications team. You'll serve the whole church by helping everything be communicated in a timely manner so that everything can keep functioning so we can fill Abu Dhabi with the gospel. That's what's, what admin and communications is about. Led by Farzana. Where are you, Farzana? You have to stand up, Farzana. There she is. Okay. And then the social media team. You'll be serving the whole church by giving us an awesome online presence so that people know what's going on, we can forward things to people who aren't trusting Christ yet and want to come. It's led by Tamara. Go ahead, and stand up. That's it. Okay, those are all of our of our teams. So, so think about it like this: Jesus has served us by washing the disciples' feet, which is a picture of what the servanthood he would display on the cross. He's died on the cross. And everything that we need is ours because of the cross. Jesus, who is incomparably great, lowered himself, lowered himself, lowered himself to the cross. It is just a stunning picture, church. This is our Jesus, this is our Savior. And because of what Jesus has done, the moment we turn from our sin and trust Him, we're completely cleansed, we're reconciled to God. And as we go through life and continue to confess, He washes our feet, He renews our hearts, He assures us that we're forgiven. And because of the cross, because of our salvation, every need, every concern, every longing, every emptiness, He will meet us and help us. We can give and entrust everything in our hearts to Him. And so who Jesus is, He frees us, He fills us, He humbles us, He strengthens us, He emboldens us so that we are released so that we can serve other people. That's how that works. It's not some kind of a duty obligation. There's a a release that comes in our hearts when we see who our Savior is. So Jesus has done everything to fill you, satisfy you, forgive you, secure you forever. And He says, now follow Me. Follow Me. I've given you an example. Follow Me serve each other. Wash each other's feet. Namely, serve each other. That's the path to blessing. Serve each other. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we bow before You, incomparably great, towering over everything else in existence with Your greatness, astonishing greatness. And You knelt down before the feet of Your disciples and You washed their feet. And You went to the cross. The cross. And we are bathed we are cleansed, we are completely clean from guilt, and we can confess every day, numerous times every day, and you come again and again, and you wash us, and you renew our hearts, and you pour your love into us afresh, and you assure us of forgiveness and of salvation. Oh, Lord, we love you. What a servant you are. Help us be the servants you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.